they were there when history was made. Rackham Tour is a storyteller. Welcome to the Sports Rackham Tour. And with two out, you talk about a roll of the dice. This is it. Lewis gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! LeBron James at the buzzer! The Sports Rackham Tours dusts off the great American art of storytelling. From the players, coaches, media, the people who were there. Smith corks one in the right, down the line, it may go! Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! It's a home run! Go crazy! Now, here's Stephen Maggi. Welcome to Sports Rockin' Tours, a show that presents observations, recollections, and memories of a select group of storytellers who represent the past half-century or so of American sports. This Monday night, the first home game in the history of the Las Vegas Raiders will be played against the New Orleans Saints. There will be no fans in the brand new Allegiant Stadium, but this represents another historical change in the history of the Raiders. So with that in mind, let's meet an important player from that earlier history, Phil Villapiano. When you think of the 1970s Raiders, yeah, the Oakland Raiders, you're thinking of hard-hitting and doing whatever it takes to win. And we have Phil Villapiano, who actually encompasses that whole entire Raider image. Phil, great to have you on. You were born to be a Raider, don't you think? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. If I ever thought I could make it to the pros, then I would would have definitely been a Raider. I mean, but, uh, you know, I look back at my life and, and the way I played football and the way I I mean, I just loved football, and I loved the hard-hitting part of the game. And, you know, when I went in the NFL, there was no team hitting any harder or bending the rules this way and that way and having more fun. And I think, you know, my personality fit perfect with the Raiders. I remember covering the team out in Santa Rosa, you know, the preseason camps, and yeah. the camaraderie among you guys was unbelievable. Uh, my partner at the time was Monty Stickles, who was announcing the games for oh, the Raiders. Yeah, yeah guy. and going up there and spending some time, you guys liked each other, too. I mean, it really was a bond. Yeah, we did. We we, 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 we did. You know, it, it was the way I, I didn't start it, you know, I, it, but when I got there, there was like George Blanda, Jim Otto, Pete Banzak, Kenny Stabler, you know, Dan Connors. These older guys, they loved each other. The younger guys just blended right in. So whoever started it did a good job. I just helped to continue it and loved it. And and to this day, you know, I think back about the older guys that were my buddies. And some of them are are, are dead now, but uh, it was such a, such a, a treat to play for the Raiders and, and, you know, another thing, Steve, we all thought the same way. Al Davis drafted guys that were pretty similar going in. You know what I mean? It didn't take too much to tweak it one way or another. And like even like a guy like Monty Johnson. And Monty Johnson was a big monster from Nebraska. But he just wasn't a Raider type guy in the beginning because he grew up on a farm, you know, from right. Nebraska. 
and, my, and a lot of the Raider guys were city guys. And and, and I remember Monty just kind of grooved himself right in there and became one of the boys. And, you know, when when that happens, it's such a good thing. And, you know, probably even Jim Otto, you know, even though he was here, he just loved his teammates so much. He was a special guy to, to hang out with and to follow. And I remember when big Bob Brown came on our team. Now, Bob Brown played – he was huge, three three hundred ten pounds. Played with the Eagles. Came when he came to us, and he became one of the boys. <laughs> it was so much fun to see Bob Brown come in with this attitude of the like NFC East, and all of a sudden he was an AFC West fun guy. So yeah, we 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 turned some guys around, and uh, but you know what? If you, if you didn't play ball and you weren't a Raider type guy. John Madden and Al Davis would make sure you weren't there too long. Well, I was going to ask you, you think this goes to Madden? Because they had guys that come in like Matuzak and Ted Hendricks who had difficulties in other places, yet they came there and just fit in really well. So that's the beauty of the Raiders. And uh, I remember I mean, I remember Otis Sischunk, and this is one of the guys, in, and, you know, first ball-headed guy, never even played in college. And he came walking out on the practice field, and he had a stomach. He looked like he was eight months pregnant, you know. <laughs> and nobody cared about his stomach. It was getting to the, get to the passer, you know. So I remember Otis, they put him right next to me, and we had a great time together. And, you know, he he blended in within a day, you know. So it was, And the twos, yeah. How about Bubba Smith? You talk about a guy blending in Bubba Smith, you know. All those years with the Colts, he came out with the Raiders. And he couldn't wait to be a Raider and hang out and, and, and do the crazy stuff that the Raider guys did. So, yeah, there was a special team. And, and you know, you, you can't win that many years in a row unless you really love your teammates. There's a couple of guys that have not made the Hall of Fame. One is Coach Flores afterwards, who statistically, anyway, looks like a great fit, nice guy. And then Cliff yeah. Branch. How is Cliff Branch not in the Hall of Fame? Well, it's very, very strange. And uh, the only way I, I can analyze it is we had so many good players and we had so many guys getting in that almost probably the whoever does the nominating probably said, whoa, 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 we have a Raider quota already fulfilled, you know, so let's go somewhere else. But a guy like Cliff Branch, he should have been in the Hall of Fame. Nobody could cover Cliff Branch. And now he's dead. It stinks when when you get overlooked like that. But that, hey, way back when, I'm not sure nowadays because nowadays it looks like they picked on your credentials. Mm-hmm. But there was a time when you could get in just because they needed to have a 49er go in or you know someone like that, say, just to make it look good. You know, more of a popularity contest. But I think nowadays it's it's pretty uh, pretty solid. Mm-hmm. But Cliff, at one time, he'll get in because he had he had the credentials. He wasn't just fast. He also made some great catches. Uh, oh, unbelievable. Let's talk yep. about that Miami Dolphins game because I just thought of his great catch in that. You made a big play in that, too, and people might forget. You intercepted a pass, which that game could have still gone on. I, I remember being there, and it was an amazing 
it was an amazing exhibition of football that day. I gotta say, yeah, that was you know that was one of the f- most fun games I've ever been involved in. And, uh, that wasn't the championship game; that was the, the playoff game, right? And uh, the you know the Dolphins came, and you know the whole town of Oakland was so fired up to knock them off because they were seventeen and zero the year before, and we you know we were going to be the spoilers. And I remember I. Nate, Nate Moore, something ran back. Yeah. The opening kickoff broke our hearts. And then we we were battling back the whole day. And, uh, you know, I think the only time we took the lead was when we, you know, we took it at the end there uh, on the Kenny flip over. Uh, what, what, what did Clarence they call Davis. that one? What was sea that? of hands. Yeah. And then, you know, we, um, you know, we knew Greasy was going down. And, you know, me being around a little while, I knew – his favorite receiver, and I knew where he liked to to, to get him. I was playing on the uh, you know on the left outside, and I saw you know I saw Greasy, you know look look me off kind of, and as soon as he looked me off, I knew he was going the other way, and I started sprinting to the middle of the field right where I thought he would find Paul Warfield. And it was a good thing I made that play because uh, if Paul catches that, he had a lot of running room, but. I, I got over there and pulled it in, and I, I never I never forget the, uh, you know, I knew how much John Madden wanted to win that game, so I, I wouldn't let anybody have that ball. I went over and gave it to John, and he stuck it up in the air, and <laughs> boy, that was a that was a wonderful, wonderful day. Beat a great team, and then we lose to the Steelers the next weekend. Ah, killed me, killed me, man. At home, too. Yeah, that was tough. Yeah, <laughs> so, I know. So a couple of years later, though, you get another chance, and this time you beat the Steelers. But if you watch it, the one thing that's really interesting is both teams are hitting back and forth. Nowadays, you'd never play that game, would you? I mean, there'd be officials, yeah. there'd be flags going every which way. And I, I think it was a more entertaining game then. Well, you know, Steve, I think you're right. And I, I, I mean, I don't want to say it just because I played in that era. But I certainly would much rather watch a football game where anytime there's a good play now, you, you, you look for a flag. And, you know, if it's not the receiver, you know, the, the, the defender makes a good play, the offensive guy wants a flag. If the offensive guy makes a good play, the defender wants a flag, a push-off or something. It stinks. They've got to figure out how to calm the officials down a little bit and, and let these guys play. You know, I mean, I don't know how – I mean, they got so many rules now. You can't do anything to anybody. So does every, every it's like every play, you're breaking a rule, and yeah. it's ruining the game. It takes too long, and it's you know there's so many games decided by the officials, and that's not the way football's supposed to be. It's supposed to be go down there and whoever the guy that blocks the hardest and tackles the hardest and scores the most wins. It's not that way anymore, and it really stinks. But, you know, I still do love watching the NFL, and I do love the scoring. But just keep the officials there. Give them a quota. You know, you can only have one penalty flag a game, so make it a good one. You know, something like that. It was kind of like pinball in the fact that you guys, and, and the other great teams all did this too, is to try to see what you could get away with because that was part of playing it. You know, and if you went too far, sure. they'd throw a flag. But that was part of it. Absolutely, Steve. You got, you know, you you, you know that you know we we used to laugh and you know we used to call it cheating is encouraged, <laughs> but you know the, the cheating is you hold a little bit, you grab the guy's jersey, you know, yeah. You do things that 
weren't bad, but they could be considered penalties. And, and a lot of times they were called. You know, but a lot of times they weren't. And you get away with something, it made you feel kind of cool. What was it like playing with Atkinson and Tatum? Because they were the, they were a tough pair out there. And, you know, you're part of that defense. Did that help you guys, the, all you guys in front? Because nobody wanted to have them come from behind them and hit them. I mean, oh, I know. They were, we had a great group of safeties back there. I mean, Jack Tatum, I told uh, me and people this, when he would come up and hit somebody, you knew it and not because you could see him because usually you're in there making a tackle. But the hit, the hits that he would put on the offense was amazing. And it was, and I, I, I related to, you know, a driver when you, when you hit, you know, in golf, when you hit the golf ball hits right in the middle of the driver, it sounds different. And I used to say Jack Tatum sounded different because he would hit the guys so square and hard. And then George Atkinson was totally different. He was more of a street fighter back there. So we had a street fighter and we had a, an enforcer, you know, and wow, those guys could play football. And I, I loved having them behind me. When those guys would break through the line and break through the linebackers, they would say something to us because, yo, boys, our job's to cover. It isn't to make your tackles, you know. So they were, uh, they were a tough group. Fun, fun group to play with, though. Yeah, talk about different personalities too. I mean, Tatum, he, he was always he was always respectful and so forth. But I'd never want him mad at me. Whereas Atkinson was Ooh. like one of the happiest guys you'd ever want to see. Yeah, right. And uh, but you also don't want Jack to, uh, George Atkinson mad at you. I've uh, he was a tough, tough guy, and he still is. And Tate was a tough, tough guy. But you're right. The way they presented themselves was so different. But George Atkinson could get nasty in a heartbeat. And Jack Tatum was nasty all the time. And then it had to be something when you, when you were taking a break and you were watching the offense out there. Having Gene Upshaw and Art Shell, you know, like you say, and for a time, Jim Otto there, what an offensive line, huh? I mean, that's like incredible. Yeah, it was. We had a tremendous offensive line. And, you know, don't forget on the other side, we had John Vela and George Beeler, and those two guys were just as tough as Shell and, uh, and Upshaw. You know, Jim Otto started getting older, and they put Dave Dalby in there. That was a young, tough, tremendous offensive line. And it took a while. You know, Gene, Gene and, and, and Art were there. But, but you know, uh, Jim was getting older, and, and then George was new, and then we had Bob Brown and Finally, John Bella got in there, and finally, not that Jim, Jim Otto wasn't the best. He, he was the greatest, but he was just older in the 70s, and he still kept playing. He still get, he got injured every every week for some craziness. When Once we got the right ages in there, oof, we were pretty darn good. And they stuck Dave Casper in a tight end. Big old, he was like a tackle out there. So, uh, yeah, we could, we could block anybody, and we could open up. We can open up holes in anybody's line and also pass protect, which was the key to Kenny Stabler. I got to think Jim Otto must have been a great inspiration because I remember seeing him. He owned a Burger King, which was on the drive yep. up to, to Reno. And I always would stop in there. And this is like the nicest guy. And he'd be out working. And the poor guy, uh, his knees were awful. Oh, and, I yeah. Know. I know. How he played those last four or five years was beyond me. But 
I mean, Al Davis was not taking him out. And John, uh, John, uh, you know, Madden was not taking him out of the game. So, I mean, he just kept getting beat up because once you can't move, you're a, you're a sitting duck for an injury. But somehow or another, Jim just fought and fought and fought and, and probably played three or four extra years. And, and great inspiration to me. What a great man he was. And he still is. And he is Mr. Raider. Well, then your, your career, as all careers do, kind of you got a bad injury, you end up going to Buffalo. They love you in Buffalo, too. How was that experience, having done all that with the Raiders for almost a decade? Yeah, well, it was beautiful. I, I, I couldn't believe when I, when I went to Buffalo that the crazy thing was, you know, I, I look at the Bills, you know, they hadn't won much. I think they were. They might have won two games the year before I got there, and I figured oh, I'm going to be a starter. And I was playing the inside with the Raiders at the end, but my love was outside on the left side. I'm figuring I'm going to go up there and be a starter. I go up there and being my agent, we told them what what we wanted to get paid, and Chuck Noska is done, just like that, no arguments. And he goes, but under one condition. And I said, what? He goes. You're not going to be a starter. Mm. I said, what? I'm not going to be a starter. And he goes, we have no depth. I brought you in here to play all four linebacker spots. And I'm going to call on you, and you're going to have to go in there and, and help me. But you're not going to be a starter. So, you know, I, I'm like, okay, well, then I'm going to be on special teams. I, I told Chuck you got to put me on special teams because, Phil, you're in your 10th year. What, are you crazy? <laughs> I said, nope, I want to do that. So I became the captain of the special teams. Yeah, my fourth year, I, I up there, I injured my knee playing special teams. <laughs> but I had four good years and played a lot of good football. And I played, you know, inside, left, inside, right, outside, right, outside, left. I played them all. And I had a great, a great time, great four years. And I, I really... Love the city of Buffalo. A great town for people that don't know it. The people up there are fantastic. The football fans of the Buffalo Bills are tremendous. And I couldn't, I mean, I, well, let me say one more thing. A lot of Italians up there too, Steve. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I enjoyed that part of it. And I just had four wonderful years. And Ralph Wilson, tremendous owner and Chuck Knox, tremendous coach and Kay Stevenson coached me for a year. All these, I mean, I just, I just can't say enough about Buffalo. I had a great time. You had a great career and you had a fun career, right? I mean, every picture I see of you, you got a smile on your face. <laughs> you were enjoying <laughs> well, I was yourself. Doing, I was doing the thing I liked the most, man. I was not doing nothing more, nothing more than I would, that I would rather do. I, I grew up uh, loving pro football on television I grew up thinking, man, maybe I can, maybe I could do it. Never knowing I could do it, but I did it, and uh, it was also like a dream come true for me. One thing about you, and before we go, one thing, you've always been great working in the community, and one one thing you're doing with Bonacani and Harry Carson, I assume you're still doing it, was the flag football under 14, and I thought it was great because there are a guy who's as hard a hitter as you are, you realize that we got to be careful with kids and so forth, they can't start them out too yeah. early. Yeah, I totally like, you know, what Harry and Nick and I were doing, and and we're still doing it, but... 
nobody's well i guess there are some some uh, school systems that are listening and what we wanted was no tackle football to your freshman and you know that means pop warner is out so most towns aren't going to do that you know they want that they want their kids tackling when they're you know seven years old i'm one of these guys that your whole body i think has to mature and I'm not so even sure that the brain is mature at, you know, a freshman in high school. But it's better than it would be at six or seven or eight. Yeah. Don't hit the head. But, you know, I, I give uh, these people credit. Our boys up in Seattle that are teaching how to roll tackle. And, you know, and people, you know, not, not being able to use their head. And I think it's a good thing. So, hey, your shoulders are perfect to make tackles. Ram your shoulder in there. Have a good time. Matter of fact, I tell people when you tackle perfectly with your arms and your shoulder right in the middle of a guy's body, I think I've done this many times. It's a perfect tackle for me as a defender, and it's a perfect tackle for the offensive guy. It's almost like the offensive guy wants to say good tackle because nobody gets hurt, and you just go back to huddle and you start again. So I like the new rules for safety, and I, I, I do agree that let's not rough these kids up too early. We don't want to lose any good football players before they get to high school. The great Phil Villapiano. I hope to interview you again, maybe before the playoffs. <laughs> Anytime, Steve. You call me. It's, been, it's always fun talking to you and you today because this was a good con- this was a good football conversation. Go to the Vegas Never Sleeps website and check out the Sports Rockin' Tour page. There you can hear bonus content from this conversation, plus a number of other great sports stories. And don't forget to follow us on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for listening today. This is Stephen Manchin. Okay, Sean, we need to talk about our training budget. We're spending almost $1,500 per employee each year. What's the plan? Well, ma'am, 42% of companies are saying that e-learning has led to an increase in revenue. What does that do about the travel expense? E-learning allows employees to learn wherever they are. Then we need to consider the time away from production. I heard that e-learning takes up to 60% less employee time than traditional classroom training. Perfect. Let's find a curriculum company, a development company, a learning management software company. Actually, Epsilon XR specializes in end-to-end learning solutions with tools such as instructor-led training, online classrooms, simulations, virtual and augmented reality, and curriculum development. Get Epsilon XR on the phone. Epsilon XR creates immersive learning environments that engage with your learner, resulting in improved information retention, which leads to better performance and ultimately an increase in revenue. Learn more at elearning.epsilonxr.com.